All right. Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a great Christmas, and for all the kids, I hope their Christmas dreams came true. Uh, Christmas is a special time of year. I got a little bit of a cold this year, and so I've told a few of you, usually during Christmas season, I like to stay up late, like 11, and I watch a movie every night. It's like bill time, you know? And so every night at 7.30, I took NyQuil and went to bed at 8.30. So I didn't miss any family time, but I missed all my me time. But that's all right. That's all right. Uh, I hope all your Christmas dreams were true. I hope the baked food was good, the presents were good, and the friendship and family was even better. On this uh, December 30th, we're going to focus in on the topic, you see it right behind me, of the incarnation. This would be traditionally the time in the year where the church focuses in on this. During the Advent season, we take four weeks and we celebrate the coming of God into our midst. But on this Sunday, we stop to reflect and to uh, ask ourselves, what does the incarnation actually mean? During the Christmas, uh, the Advent season, we celebrate that God's come into our midst and we culminate by celebrating these come into our midst in the form of a little baby. And have you ever noticed in life that babies ask very little of us? You know, babies are really cute. And whenever somebody goes to the hospital to visit a baby, there's no threat with a baby. You know, there's all kinds of hope and aspiration and expectation, but the babies don't ask very much from us at all. But Babies become something, you know, or whenever there's a new changeover and a, uh, a new form of leadership comes in, you know, a new president, uh, a new pastor, wherever it is, and you're a new CEO at the company that you work up, there's a little uncertainty, but there's, there's filled with hope or maybe, you know, trepidation if you don't like the person that's coming in, but there's always this new, this new phase, and you're wondering what the transition time is going to be like. John begins his gospel, which is the main text we're going to look at this morning. I want to invite you to turn there. It's in the Bibles that we provide. John chapter 1, we're looking at verses 1 through 18, and it's going to be on page 860 if you use the Bibles that we provide. 860. John begins his gospel by talking about theology, the theology of the reality that God has become man. That God has become man. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy and the birth of Christ. You know, Luke begins his gospel with the birth of Christ uh, and the the, the tellings of of, uh, the angel to Zechariah and to Mary about John the Baptist. Mark begins his gospel where Jesus has already grown up and John the Baptist is an adult proclaiming uh, the coming of Jesus. But John begins his gospel with 18 verses of theology, some of the most dense theology in all of the New Testament, where John talks about the reality of just exactly what Jesus, who Jesus is. And so this morning, what I want us to do is take some time to reflect on the incarnation. This is nothing more than a big theological term that simply means when deity takes on a bodily form. And John is going to tell us some very interesting things And I want us to just think about it. And I'm going to try to help you see how this passage has shaped and transformed my life on a personal level. And then I want to hopefully encourage you to consider Jesus and how he changes your lives as well. Let's take a look at it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which is his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, and he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. Has made him known. This morning, what I want to do is unpack this text, and we're going to just, I'm just going to take you kind of in a story form through this text. So, what we're going to do is we're going to look at and see the problem that this text arises. The reason, the problem is the reason that Jesus came. We're going to look at solutions that our culture has suggested to this problem. We're going to look at the solution that this text offers, and then we're going to take a look at uh, how it changes our reality. And how it is difficult to believe, but if we believe it, it changes everything. So here we go. First, the problem that this text arises. The problem of this text is very simple. It's in verse 5, right, where the text says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The problem that this text implies and, and gives birth to is the idea that we are living in darkness. We are living in darkness. That things are not as they should be with me and you And certainly things are not the way they should be with this world. Now, I think it's very easy for people to admit that the world is not as it should be. I I meet people every so often who think they're doing okay. But everybody seems to understand that the world as in general is not doing okay. But the text is driving us, and not just this text, but texts all throughout the Bible are driving us to come to one of the most freeing theological truths in the world, which is this that we are broken and we need healing, that we are broken and we need healing. In the language of John, he says it this way, you are living in darkness. But we have all throughout the testimony of Scripture, I won't put them up on the screen and I won't ask you to turn there, but I'll give you the references. We have the psalmists and the writer of the Proverbs and we have the writer of the epistles and they're all giving us the same idea. David in Psalm 14.3 says, there is no one good, not even one. In Proverbs, Solomon says, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I can clean myself from my sin. The implication to this, it's one of those rhetorical questions that has an obvious answer of no to it, right? It's like when we ask our kids, was that very smart after they broke something, you know? After they spilled milk in the table because they were goofing around, you know? Was that very smart? We don't expect them to say yes and they know it. And if they're smart, Alex, they do, right? Who has ever cleaned themselves from their sin? 
Paul says it this way in Romans, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet Paul says again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, and I'm just giving you a brief part, that we are all born dead in our transgressions and sins. Dead in our transgressions and sins. Now, all the music this morning, which was beautiful, by the way, Chris, all the music this morning was just about this beautiful, and I've been, even as I was sitting in the chair, I, I was thinking through it, and I was trying to, to just focus on what the words were saying about how all these beautiful passages of the goodness of God, which are all true, he's gracious and he is compassionate, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, you know, he has freed us so that we are no longer slaves to fear, that we can be children of God, all these things are true. But you know what all of that beauty starts with? With an admission. An admission that we need God desperately. And why do we need him? Because we're living in darkness. And we need the light. Because we are broken. And we need to be fixed. Because we are sinners. And we need someone to pay for our sins. The problem is we are living in darkness. But our culture doesn't want to easily grab onto this, does it? If you're a teacher and you go to your school and you go into the teacher's lounge and you say, you know what, guys, I just heard the most encouraging message yes, the other day about what's wrong with our society and us in general. We are living in darkness and we are sinners. The teachers would not think you're very cool, would they? Right? They'd think you're kind of a weirdo. And yet, our society has all kinds of solutions to the problems that are not destined to work. And yet, it's almost, uh, as humanity, we have this incredible ability to fake ourselves out. You know, I know this hasn't worked in the past, but maybe it'll work this time. We've tried all these solutions. They do not work. And our, our society poses all kinds of solutions, doesn't it? That if we just educate people, if we just educate people and we educate them enough, things will get better. And yet, we've improved in education in so many ways and things aren't better. They're better in small pockets, and things get better incrementally. And some would say, well, it's better than it was before, and so if we just keep on this trajectory, who knows how long it'll take, but it'll just get better. And you know what put an end to most people thinking that was true? World War I and World War II. For me, I wasn't alive anywhere near those times. For most of you, you weren't either. But when we start to think about where our society has been, we start to think maybe education isn't the full solution. Still important. Leaders read. It's all good stuff. But it's not the solution to our problem. We think maybe if we just had a better government, things would be better. If we just had better politics. And yet, you know, I, I haven't been on the political scene very often. My first vote was in 2000. So what was that? That was for Bush-Gore. So I've gone through couple different presidents, right? I've gone through Republican, Democrat, Republican. It doesn't seem that our world just is completely fixed no matter who's in office, does it? Government does not fix what is wrong with you, with me, and with what our world. We may think to ourselves, if I just had more money, it would solve my problems. Maybe if we just share our money better. And yet, we all know people who have tons of money and who have all kinds of problems. We know people who have very little money and don't, and we know the opposites. We may think if people were just more moral, you know, we think of John Lennon's song, Imagine, you know, imagine a world 
<laughs> where there's no religion, where there's no borders. Just imagine. And if we were just more moral and we got rid of all those things, everything would be better. And yet, imagine hasn't fixed things either. We cannot fix ourselves, but the reason we cannot fix ourselves is very, very simple. And I can illustrate it in the most simple terms. If you're cleaning up a dirty counter, you can't use a dirty cloth to clean up the counter. Does this make sense? If you want to clean a surface that is dirty, you have to have a clean thing, a clean instrument to clean it. And so if we are the problem, we cannot fix ourselves because we can't clean a dirty clowner with a dirty rag. Yeah? Maybe? We'll see. And so John offers us a different solution, a very different solution, a radically different solution that if you're uh, in any way sharp at all or skeptical at all, you might think to yourself, well, the offer that John is, the solution that John has offered has not fixed things either because our world is still broken. Does this make sense? And yet, I want to show you some things. Yet, I want to show you some things. John's solution is very different, and his solution is the incarnation. The word became flesh. We notice in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning it was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. Verse 1, any kind of reader of the Bible would immediately, in their mind, be drawn back in their thinking, back to Genesis chapter 1, right? In the beginning was God. And God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that scene in, John, in Genesis chapter 1, God in six days goes on to create all of the world. After every single day, he creates uh, something different. And after, at the end of every single day, he says, and it was good. And at the end of day, or at the day six, in the climactic moment of Genesis chapter 1, what does God create? He creates us, humanity, as the pinnacle of all creation. And he calls us good. He places us in a garden and he gives us one rule. Don't touch that, you know. It's just a tree. There were countless trees with fruit on him. And he tells us one rule. Uh, one of my favorite preachers always said, when God had it his way, there was one rule. And yet we still found a way to break it. You see what I'm saying? In the beginning was the word. Genesis draws our attention to a climatic moment, which is the creation of humanity. John chapter 1 makes us think back to that climatic moment of Genesis 1, but instead of the climatic moment being the creation of humanity, the climatic moment is now that God has taken on humanity. Do you see the difference? God has become flesh. The word became flesh. And so that we do not get confused about exactly who this identity is, the identity of the word. John, in chapter 1, verse 3, says this, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. This word that was with God in the beginning and is God is not one of God's created things that has preeminence, that is more important than the other creation, who then goes on to create he was not created himself. He is in equal standing with God himself, for he is God himself. Without him, nothing was made 
that has not been, or without him nothing was made that has been made. And what is this word? The word became flesh. What is he? Verse 9 tells us. And it gives us in this little verse the solution to man's problem. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. What is our problem? According to John, verse 5, we are living in darkness. What is the solution? The true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. The solution is Jesus. The solution is Jesus. Jesus, our solution, personified as perfect God and perfect man who kept the law perfectly, who made his dwelling among us. Do you see this in verse 14? The word became flesh and has made his dwelling among us. He came so that the true light might shine on everyone. It's funny, you know? Have you ever gone and seen, uh, maybe you've seen a comedian or a famous uh, uh, musical artist that you want to really see in concert? And you know what that artist or comedian does? They don't go and hang out with the people, you know? They stay in the green room where they have everything that is exactly according to their specifications. You're coming to see them and they hire security guards to keep you out until they come out and do their thing and then the security guards keep you away from them while they go back so they're safe from you. Our problem is we live in darkness. You see how beautiful this is? Sometimes I look out at faces, I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm communicating. I see beauty where I'm not seeing the beauty. But anyway, you see how beautiful this is? Jesus is not a famous comedian. He's not a famous musical artist. He is the son of God incarnate. Philippians 2, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, just at the very end of our sermon, talks about it this way, that God, in the form of Jesus, did not think of himself as too highly. This is language of humility. And so he emptied himself by taking on humanity. Because in the economy of God, or in, in the system of God, the high is made low and the low is made high. And so God makes himself low so that we might be made high. This is the solution. That God has taken on humanity. You know, and if you want to be transformed by the beauty of Jesus, if you want, and, and, and I'm speaking I'm not speaking so much to you only, but to myself as well. If you want to be transformed by the beauty of Jesus, if I want to be transformed by the beauty of Jesus, we must see ourselves correctly, and we must see God correctly. For we will not glory in the thing that we do not believe has saved us from everything. Let me tell you a little story. This will relate really well to some of you, and to some of us, like some of you like me, it won't make as much sense. But I was recently reading, uh, I was reading a manuscript of a sermon, and the, the manuscript of the sermon told this little story, which I really, really like. It was by a preacher, his name's Matt Chandler, and Matt Chandler has famously dealt with brain cancer. And so he was telling the story about he was done at church one day and he ran into another gal who, had, who was going through brain cancer and he was on the other side of it at this point. 
And she was kind of going through it. And he said, when you've had brain cancer and you've gone through that and you meet somebody else that has it or has gone through that, there's like this strange kind of bond and fraternity among people who've gone through something similar. I haven't had brain cancer. But he said, we started to immediately talk about it. And you know what we started to talk about? We started to praise and give, give so much glory to the doctors who had done so much to help us. And we started to name names and list doctors who had, who had done so much to save our lives and who had done so much to care for our loved ones through this process. And he said, you know why we gloried in these doctors? We gloried in these doctors because we were desperately broken and we needed fixing. Does this make sense? We were desperately broken and we needed fixing. We glory in the things that save us. We glory in the things Save us. And so, as we approach the incarnation this morning, it is an opportunity for us to reflect on ourselves. It is an opportunity for us to glory, not in a doctor, who I understand his point. It is an opportunity to glory in the God who has done everything on our behalf so that we might come into his reality. You'll hear at the end of the, 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 um, the service today, I always close in a benediction, and my, my, my benediction for this morning has this closing line, uh, or not closing line, but this middle line, and be praised to Jesus who entered into our world so that we might enter into his. Do you see this? Who entered into our world so that we might enter into his. We glory in the things that save us. And what has God done? God has become human in the person of Jesus, so that humanity might become the children of God. Do you see what it says? Verse 12. Yet to all who receive him, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he became the right. He, be, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What is wrong with us? We're living in darkness. Government, money, education, morality won't fix us. Because we can't do enough to make ourselves clean. We're a dirty rag trying to clean a dirty surface. But God has entered into our reality. God has entered into our reality so that we might be healed. Now, I want to say it this clearly. Must we believe all of this to be transformed? Must we really believe what must seem to some as an outlandish claim that God has become man, like in reality? And the answer is, of course, yes. This isn't one of those examples where we just believe things that aren't true and it'll help us. This is one of those examples where we must come to the place where we believe the supernatural where we believe it all, that this baby who was born of a virgin, that this baby who was born of a virgin grew up and out of the birth canal was the son of God. And as he grew up, he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we would not have to die ourselves. You see, 
verse 17 explains it so clearly. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who came into our midst, into our reality, and he fulfilled all of the law. He was the perfect human, and he gave himself as a sacrifice. Imagine with me if Jesus would have come, and instead of coming full of grace and truth, he would have come with more laws, you know? We were already struggling with the Ten Commandments. We didn't have the other 613 down. What would it have been like if Jesus would have come and said, I've got a couple more laws for you? We would have been more doomed, right? But Jesus did not come with more law. He came and he fulfilled the law, and he came with grace and with truth, with grace and and with truth. I know this is difficult to believe. For some of us who've been in church a long time, it's difficult to believe. And if you're new to church, it's even more difficult to believe. And we see in our text that there were many who had a difficult time believing it. We see here in verse 11, or verse 10 and 11, he was in the world, and though the world was made by him, Acts in Peter's sermon at Pentecost says that You killed the author of life, right? The world was made by him, and even though the world was created by God, by Jesus, the world did not recognize Jesus. He came to that which he owned, which was his own, and his own received him not. I know it's difficult to believe. Sometimes people might say, well, I would believe this if only God would show up in my circumstances in a more supernatural way, you know? I gave him a sign, and he would answer in a sign. Do you know what Jesus says to this? There's a parable. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. You don't have to turn there. I'll summarize it for you. Where where Jesus tells a parable about a rich man uh, and a poor man named Lazarus. In this parable, both the poor man, uh, Lazarus, and the rich man, who doesn't have a name, die. Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom and is with God. It's just, it's just interesting language. And then the rich man goes to a place where he can see Lazarus, but he goes to a place of judgment. And he's in this place of judgment, and while he's there, he speaks to God. It's a parable. It's, I, I don't know if this is exactly the way it's going to work in, in the afterlife. It's a parable. It's taught to give us, give us an example. In the parable... Um, in this story that Jesus tells, the rich man says, can you please send someone? Can you please send someone so that they can go back and they can tell my loved ones and my family so that they believe and they're not like me when they die? And Jesus says, or God responds in the parable to him and says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead, right? This is foreshadowing that Luke is doing. For Jesus actually dies and rises from the dead, and many do not believe even after seeing him. They try to cover the whole thing up. I know it is difficult to believe. I know it is difficult to believe, but seeing the miraculous wouldn't change it. There's been plenty of miraculous the Israelites, after they cross, after they, God frees them in the Exodus and they're leaving Egypt, and the Egyptians uh, 
come to capture them and take them back. You know what God does? He splits the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land and he wipes out the Egyptian army. And days after this happens, what are they doing? They're not believing and complaining and saying, I wish I was back in Egypt because I don't have enough food and water. At least there we had something to eat and drink. We are so prone. It is difficult to believe. Do you know what I pray for you all the time? I prayed it this morning. The Spirit of God might open our eyes and do a work in our hearts so that we might see the reality and the beauty of Jesus. It is difficult to believe, but the supernatural wouldn't make you believe. And I want to return to something I said earlier. It is so difficult to believe because in some ways, the promises and the truths that we cling to by faith are taking a long time to be fully realized and fulfilled. Does this make sense? Some truths that are accepted by faith take a little bit of time before we realize their full benefits. And salvation is one of those truths. There's a lot of truths like that. And engagement's kind of like that, isn't it? The man gets on his knee, he pops the question, the, the girl says yes, hopefully, sometimes it doesn't go so good, but she says yes, and there's a six month, there's a nine month, there's a 12 month, sometimes there's a three or four year period. Do you know what? That three or four year period makes it a little harder for her to believe. Do you see what I'm saying? Remember Roy in the office and Pam? Makes it a little harder to believe. Truths that are accepted by faith sometimes take a while before we realize their benefits. And the longer the period is between accepting a truth and realizing its benefits, the harder it is to believe the truth itself. And so this morning, I want to speak to you from my heart, and this is my closing, so you can take some comfort in that. (laughs) I want to speak from you from the heart of myself, of what I do. And you may think I'm just crazy and washed up, and that's cool. Just don't tell me, that's rude. (laughs) But what I do when I look at Christianity, I'm not stupid. I know the promises of God, and I know the transformation that God has done in my life, and I yearn, as I'm taught to yearn, that God might come back, that he might restore and renew, and I know he hasn't yet. But in the meantime, I hold on to the faith of those who've come before me, and sometimes you have to hold on to the faith of others, and that's okay. And I ask God, to help me continue to believe because I believe that if somebody predicted their own death and resurrection and pulled it off, that even though the promises are a little long in coming, I believe they will be fulfilled. The incarnation. God has become man. He did it to save us from the darkness because we desperately needed saving. And he has done it. And one day, this salvation that is already but is not fully yet realized will be realized. 
and the righteousness of God will shine on this earth. Renewed and remade, it'll shine on this earth. And that righteousness will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And until that day, we cling to faith. Here's my real closing. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see something beautiful. It's on page 974. Hebrews chapter 11. I won't even comment on it. I'm just going to read you a few verses. Verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Verse 6. For without faith it is impossible to please God. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to, God, comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards all those who earnestly seek him. It goes on in this chapter to reflect on the faith of Noah, of Abraham, and Moses, and all of these different people, and it ends in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. Yet, do you see what it says? Oh, man. None of them had received what they had been promised since God had something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And we long for that day still. Would you long with me as we pray and we close out and as we long not as a fool looking for something that is good that has no expectation of it happening but as someone who has placed their faith in Jesus, who died and rose from the dead and became human and dwelt among us. Let us pray. Jesus, you are the word of God. You are with God and you are God. You were in the beginning with God and all things came into being through you. And you is life and this life is the light of all mankind. The darkness cannot overcome the light. And at your name, Jesus, I bend my knee this day. We bend our knees and we confess with our tongues that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, send your spirit, the spirit into my heart so that I might know that I am your child. Amen.